Well, welcome to Evergreen, this faith community that we call Evergreen. My name is Ilsian, and my husband, Carlos, and I get to lead this beautiful faith community. Um, and I want to tell you about my, our most recent um, experience. My husband, Carlos, and I went uh, to a wedding a few weeks ago, and while we were sh uh, shaking what our mama gave us, <laughs> this song started playing. So let's hear it. I saw some of you grooving. This was your jam. And then some of you are going to pray harder for me now that you know that I listen to music like that. So thank you. <laughs> um, but for the women that are here today and are celebrating Mother's Day, maybe the question that you were asked was, what do you want for Mother's Day? Right? How many of you got asked that question? Yes. And how many of you are like, figure it out? <laughs> I just stayed quiet. I didn't answer. I was like, how many times have I said? <laughs> but anyway, moving on. Um, but I want to ask you, when it comes to the good stuff in life, what do you want? What do you really, really want? And if you are online watching us, you can comment and put it in the comments. Um, but do we really know? You know, when I was uh, back uh, starting college, I went in as an undeclared major. Because I was like, there's so much I want to learn and know. I don't know which one to choose. And so it took me a while to finally declare a major. And then I had a friend who started off as a criminology major, and then halfway through she decided, you know what, I really want to do medicine instead. So she went ahead and got her degree, and now she is helping save lives in California. So I'm so grateful for that. And then we have my two-year-old daughter who will sign for milk. We go and we make her her bottle and give it to her. She'll take a sip and then tosses it across the room because she no longer wants it, right? Does she really know what she wants? And then a recent poll showed that 70% of all working-age people are actively looking for a job changed. I'm no longer wanting to be at their current job. So what do you want? See, maybe like me, you can relate to this guy. He says this. He says, I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is a war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and 
death. And that is found in Romans 7. See, in all of us believers, there is the good stuff, and then there is the not-so-good stuff within. And the same guy, known as the Apostle Paul, writes to a group of churches in Galatia where he talks to them about the good stuff and the opposite of the good stuff. And that is found in Galatians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along um, or your Bible apps. It's also on the screen. And it says this starting in verse 16. It says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry about your good intentions. See, so there is uh, this what we want to do. Uh, we want what the Spirit desires, but then there's also this other one. And it's this want to do what our sinful nature desires. So when we let the Holy Spirit, when you let the Holy Spirit guide your life, it produces the good stuff. And that's what we're calling our new series. And that's why I'm going to keep saying it over and over again. We're talking about the good stuff this next few weeks in the month of May. So let's continue to read um, in verse 19. It says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we see a very clear picture when we follow the desires of our sinful nature. The results are sure to be a mess. They will wreak havoc in our lives. And then we have verse 22 that says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their flesh. And I lost my spot because I was looking somewhere else. Sinful nature, too, is cross and crucified him there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So to get on the same page with our theology... When we believe and believed in Jesus, Ephesians 1:13 through 14 says that we become the dwelling place of his Holy Spirit. We become the temples where his Holy Spirit abides. And with God's Holy Spirit comes this one fruit in nine indivisible parts. That enables us to live a life that no matter the disappointment, the heartache, the waiting, 
the injustice or the success that comes, that what comes out of you will be the good stuff and not the envy, not the hostility, not the jealousy, not the outburst of anger or sexual immorality. And as we, as we read, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I can say it faster. I'm not going to try, though. <laughs> See, this is the good stuff. And it is part of you. It's part of your identity as a Christ follower. And as the scholar put it, the first three concern our attitude toward God. The love, joy, and peace in our lives are directly uh, impacted by the attitude that we have toward God. And then the second triad deals with the social relationships. And the third set describes principles that guide a Christian's conduct. So today I'm going to cover the first three. And it says that though, we know this, that though we receive his Holy Spirit and all the good stuff that it brings with us, that he brings with us, when we believe in Jesus, the truth is that the flesh is still very much a part of us. It does not disappear. And you know this, that there have been patterns of behavior that have dictated the way that you have lived. The way that I have lived. And they don't just magically disappear, though that would be nice. There have been betrayals, pain, thrown at your heart, darts that have been thrown, wounds that have taught you to live restrained in the way that you love. See, there are walls you have built as defense mechanisms. There are unhealthy habits that have been developed to help cope. So as Paul says, though you want to do what is good, you don't always do good. Though you want to show kindness and gentleness to your kids and spouse, sometimes what they experience instead is outbursts of anger. And though you want to celebrate and be happy for your colleague's promotion, what you really feel is envy. See, Paul paints this contrasting uh, picture between living by our sinful nature, um, also known as the flesh, or living by the Spirit. See, there is this works of the flesh versus fruit of the Spirit. And this is an eternal struggle that is going on in all of us. It's this constant fight. And I want to be able to tap into peace and joy when I come face to face with unmet expectations. So how do we live a life led by the Spirit? A life that produces the good stuff. Well, Jesus tells us in John 15 how. So let's read it. He says, remain in me. And I will remain in you. 
For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nada. Sin Cristo, nada. So there is this remaining and abiding with and being with Jesus that grows fruit. And it's not about what we're doing, but it's about being with him. And see, it takes time for a fruit tree to grow its fruit. Some of you have experienced that because you have beautiful Yards, and I've seen a fig tree in the wolves' home, so I know, and I've seen those figs. I think I tasted them. They're delicious. And so, but it took, it took some time for that fruit to yield, for it to come, for us to see it, for them to experience it. So it takes time. See, by looking at nature, we can learn that it's a lifelong process. And when you plant your vegetable garden, within maybe months, you see some of your vegetables. And then hopefully they're gone and consumed beautifully in salads. But see, an oak tree, an oak tree takes years and years. And it's going to last and outdo some storms. Carpos is the Greek word for fruit, meaning It's the result of something. So fruit being the visible expression of power, working inwardly and invisibly. For those that come into union with Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, a power that you don't see, produces the fruit of the Spirit. See, and the fruit of the Spirit is like a muscle. You have it. It's part of you. It may not be visible, but it's there, right? How many times have you heard, oh, I have a six-pack? <laughs> no one else can see it, but it's there, right? See, and it's not until you exercise the muscle that it will grow in strength, and it may even become visible. See, Carlos is on month five of his CrossFit journey. Yay, Carlos. Good job. And believe me when I tell you that there is a particular muscle that has been more defined and visible to me, and I have no complaints about it. All I'm going to say is thank God for squats. to develop the fruit. Don't you love that you can use your spouse in illustrations? It's the best. And see, and to develop the fruit of the Spirit so that it becomes evident to the people in your life that you are Christ-like, you need to know this. It is not about trusting your willpower, but trusting the power of his Holy Spirit in you. Many of us think that we can't change. And I've heard it so many times. This is just the way I am. 
So we run from growth, but the truth is that we can change because we have the power of the Holy Spirit. And he leads us to all truth, and he transforms us. Larry Crabb in his book, The Pressure's Off, says, we'll never abandon ourselves to the Spirit as long as we think we can change without him. See, the fruit in you and in me is dependent on his Holy Spirit. I was in a pastor's gathering a week ago, and the pastor, Tyler Stanton, reminded us of an ancient prayer that has been prayed from generations and generations from the day of Pentecost, and it's this. Come, Holy Spirit. And see, we need his Holy Spirit in our lives to be able to show the evidence of the fruit that he is doing in us. To see the evidence of love in our lives, we need to be with the one who is love. Remain in my love, Jesus reminds us in John 15, 9. And if he has to tell us to remain, it means that sometimes we are prone to kind of wonder and leave. So he says, remain. Remain in my love. See, love doesn't allow feelings to dictate choices. I heard this illustration this week, and I'm, I adapted it to me, but it says, you know, I, I love Carlos. I married him. That's how much I loved him. I made a choice to love him. And Crocs and all. <laughs> and throughout our marriage, he has loved me. We've gone through some pretty difficult things, losses. And I've seen him love our daughter, and my appreciation for him has grown. Through the years, I've witnessed his commitment towards me. There is a depth to our love that I'm so grateful for. And I know that it's not as much as those of you that have been married for decades, but it's getting there. And there is no doubt in my mind that I love him. But see... There are times that Carlos will leave his Crocs lying about in the pathway. And what happens is that I sometimes will be walking from room to room or about in the house and I'll have a glass of water. Sometimes I'm carrying Charlie. And you got to know this, I am prone to be clumsy so I don't need any help tripping. (laughs) But because his Crocs are not where they are supposed to be, I end up tripping on them. And at the moment, what I feel for Carlos (laughs) is anger. I'm like, ah, I curse this Crocs. Why does he do this to me? Why did I marry a croc guy? (laughs) See, but my relationship 
with him goes beyond the superficial feelings of this one thing that he did or that he does on a continual basis. <laughs> but I'm not going to allow my feelings to dictate the choice that I have made to love him. And see, God loves us. He made that choice. And we see a description of that love in 1 Corinthians 13. Now I'm just going to quickly read. But verses 4 through 7, it says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. If you were to switch out the word love for Jesus, it would be just as true. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus is not irritable. He does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Jesus, love never fails. Jesus never fails. See, and the fullness of his love was demonstrated at Calvary where he made the choice to surrender his life so that you and I would know relationship with the Father, with God the Father. And then we have joy. And see, joy is a deep and enduring state of her soul that no circumstance, event, or human can steal from us. Choosing to rejoice in all things is what joy is. Psalm says that in his presence there is fullness of joy. Like love, joy is a choice. No matter what we're going through, no matter what we're experiencing. And then we have peace. And peace is a deep well of confidence that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. Peace comes from resting in the promises of God. See, the first time I experienced peace like this, was when my Blackie went missing. My Blackie was my Honda Accord. I had parked it in my carport at the apartment complex where I used to live in Encino. Next morning, I got up to go to work, and it's not there. I was like, oh, maybe I parked it in the front. I always forget where I park, so maybe that's what happened. And it's not there. So I realized, like, Oh, I think my car got stolen. You know, and usually I would go into panic mode and freak out 
and be like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Where am I going to get the money? How is this going to work out? Da 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 da, right? And for some reason, at that moment that I realized my car was stolen, the thought that came to mind was well, either God's going to provide a new car or I'm going to get the car back. But I, I was experiencing this peace that I've not experienced before because I was choosing to trust who God is and that he was faithful to provide no matter what I was facing. And seeing Jesus in John 14, 27 says, I am leaving you with a gift peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give you is a gift that the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. See, I wasn't troubled when I found out that my car was missing. There was peace. And what ended up happening was I went to work later on that day, and one of my coworkers said, hey, I heard what happened to you. We have an extra car that we're not using. You're welcome to use it for as long as you need. I was like, man, thank you. And I used it. And then when they needed it back, they're like, here, we're going to need it back. I was like, no worries. I'll figure it out. And then the next day, I get a phone call from the police department saying, hey, we found your car. And it was still in driving condition, so praise the Lord. <laughs> I was like, God, you did that. Like, I'm so glad I didn't panic and freak out. But that your Holy Spirit was able to bring up what was already inside of me. This peace, knowing that you are faithful. That you plan, that you are good and you plan to do good. And I know that it's hard to have that peace. When what you thought was supposed to happen didn't happen. When you thought God had answered a prayer, but instead it becomes grieving, he's still good. And he plans good. So can we trust that? Can we trust that he is faithful? C.S. Lewis says, life with God is not immunity from difficulties, but peace in difficulties. And if there's anything that I've learned in this journey of being not only a physical mom, but a spiritual mom, a mom that has seen youth, and kids say yes to Jesus like many of you are spiritual moms is that you're going to need to have peace and learn to depend on that peace when you see your kids making choices that you wouldn't necessarily want them to make for themselves. So what do you want? The good stuff starts by asking the Holy Spirit for renewed strength to follow 
and be with Jesus every single day. So this is what you can do. Pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Then you wait, abide, remain. And I don't mean in the morning, just in the morning or during your quiet time. You can do it as you go about your day while you're stuck in traffic. While your kid is throwing a tantrum, you can take a moment and say, come, Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit's help, you will never become who you are meant to be. Someone whose Christ-likeness is evident by the love, joy, and peace that fills your life. Because not only is the fruit a benefit to you, but it is most beneficial to those that do life with you. Some people may come to know Jesus because of the love, joy, and peace that you demonstrate by the way you live. And remember this, that it's not by your willpower, but by the power of the Holy Spirit in you. I want to invite you to close your eyes and give you a time to respond to God's word today. So if that's you and you want to respond because you know that, um, yes, you have the Holy Spirit, but sometimes it's really hard for you to experience love, joy, and peace. So if that's you, would you just lift both arms in front of you and say, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Help us. Will you produce the fruit that is needed in our lives? Your love, your joy, your peace. So, Father, we thank you that it is your Holy Spirit at work in us. It is your Holy Spirit that helps us to change. So Lord, we look to you with hope. Help us this week to abide, to remain, to say, come Holy Spirit. In our minds, in our hearts, with our bodies, Come, Holy Spirit. And with everybody's eyes closed, maybe you're here and you heard me say that those who belong to Christ Jesus, and maybe you're here and you've not put your faith in Jesus, you've not come to believe that Jesus loves you, not come to believe or put your faith in him, but today you want to make that choice whether you're here in person or watching online. I want to invite you with everybody's eyes closed. If that's a decision that you want to make today to put your faith and believe in Jesus, would you look up at me with everybody's eyes closed so that I can agree with you 
that that's a decision that you are making today. He loves you. He cares for you. He made a way for relationship with you. Father, we thank you that you are God and that you are faithful and that you will continue to do good in our lives. In Jesus' name, can we say amen?